We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm through. That's raw. How you doing, raw? I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? Boy, that was a great podcast we had last week. We had just a once-in-a-lifetime guest in Bomani Jones. What a fantastic, fantastic guest he was. Don't you think he was great? He was incredible. I've been thinking about it ever since. And, you know, I think you were right that it would be really difficult for us to ever top that. Impossible. We'll never be able to top him. To that end, our guest this week is Tim Marchman. Hi, Tim Marchman. Oh. Oh, I know him. <laughs> yeah, what a letdown, huh? No pressure. <laughs> the vile, disgusting Tim Marchman, feature editor of Vice former editor-in-chief of Deadspin, and former co-host of a podcast alongside me, is back for more Punishment. How are you doing, Marchman? Oh, I'm doing great, man. There's a there's a new uh, community fridge on my corner in front of the coffee shop, and it was so delightful to see. Wait what? a second. Is it like, is it, are you are you serious about being yeah, a community fridge? He, like li- little... he lives in Philadelphia. He's serious. There's a fridge it, that everybody uses. Don't worry about it. Like a, <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's like an industrial fridge, and people just put like soy milk and vegetables in it and shit. And you're supposed to take whatever you need and leave whatever you have. So uh, really, I, I was yeah, I was I was so happy by this little about this little spate of uh, communism on Fifty Second Street. Did you drop A anything little? off in it? Like, did you like put some chard in there? Be like, with my compliments. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to do that the next time I go to the grocery store. It's it's very it's very hippied out right now. There's like a bunch of turnips with luscious greens attached to them and everything. Mm. Uh, I think mm. it'll be I think it'll be fun to see what people actually take. I it'll did not know like, that there was gonna be a little free library of soy milk in Philadelphia <laughs> of uh, all places, a place where your garbage was stolen. <laughs> that's just a, that's just fantastic to me. That did you, thing, that warms my heart until someone destroys it like they destroyed Hitchbot. I don't want to I don't want to just, you know, derail things this early. Tell me a little bit more about how you can steal someone's garbage. How's that how's that work? Who do you report that theft to? I don't know, man. Someone stole my garbage can um <laughs> while I was recording a podcast actually, I believe. And yeah, that's right. In real time. Some guy just came and took my garbage can and it turned out that the mistake we made, this was when we had first moved to Philly from Chicago, which is in itself a place where one can imagine a garbage can being stolen, was that we hadn't spray painted it with our house number. And and our neighbors were just like, oh, yeah, well, if you don't spray paint your garbage can with your house number, you're just asking for it. Pretty much an open invitation <laughs> to, uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's like, a, that's why a tough wouldn't someone learned. take your garbage can? Yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, you can't you can't keep that garbage can if you didn't deface it yourself. That's not going to work. It must be nice to look back at like the innocent person that you once were that didn't even know to spray paint your own garbage can, and now you're standing outside the community fridge telling people that they can actually juice turnip greens, but they don't taste good. Yeah, if, yeah, it's quite a change. If you spray paint your house number on the fridge, do you get to keep all the shit in the fridge? No, and the fridge, it's actually a pretty good setup because it's in like a new, like almost a newspaper kiosk and it can be locked overnight so that you can prevent ne'er-do-wells from, from like smashing the glass with baseball bats or whatever that I'm sure people would do out of a, oh. you know, just mis- misdirect, misplaced sense of rage. Protected from vile derelicts which litter Philly from to and fro. It's just Eagles fans, man. They just get upset. <laughs> They're underperforming. This is what you do. You take it out on the industrial fridge in your neighborhood whenever Carson yeah. Wentz doesn't make all the throws. Yeah, an Eagles fan just climbing the fridge and like taking his dick out. <laughs> and you have to like grease it down with Vaseline. So Turnip greens are our baby. They're it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marjorie, can you tell us? Let's what was going on, Vice. What you guys up to? Because I, uh, the big thing for me was um, 
uh, during the summer when you guys uncovered uh, the U.S. Postal Service uh, shenanigans, and that's way too mild a word because they're actively destroying mail sorters, keeping people from getting mail, which includes like insulin that they desperately need, and of course can fuck with the election. So uh, can you tell me about that story and some other shit you're doing? Yeah, man. Um, our mail coverage has been really exciting. It's spearheaded by Aaron Gordon. He works on our, on our tech desk. I worked with him um, at Vice too. He's one of he's one of the best there is. Yeah, he's an amazing reporter, and he's really just been sinking into the post office. It's funny because he had the bright idea to cover the post office like well before all this stuff started really blowing up. So he had already he had already. Um, sourced up on that story ahead of time, which, which allowed him to land some pretty cool exclusives. It's funny because he got, he got into this because he got a handwritten letter in the mail, like, like something out of a movie, just this cryptic letter um, telling him to, to um, do some FOIAs on mail truck explosions. And he, and he did a story on all these investigations into uh, mail trucks that have basically been melting down and exploding. And in the course of doing that, he found out a bunch of shit about the post office and a bunch of people who wanted to talk to him about what was going on. So wait, so, holy shit, he got like a deep throat letter? Was it like written <laughs> like a ransom note where like letters cut out from magazines and shit? I haven't seen the physical letter, but that's my pretty strong impression. Yeah, that's- and then, um, so he's doing so he's doing a newsletter, which everyone should subscribe to, called The Mail. Um, and I don't think anybody will be able to get their hands on it because I believe... We're going to be sold out of it, but we also pressed um, a physical zine that will be mailed to people. And it's a great place to keep up on all things that are going on with the evil uh, DeJoy, who is attempting to, you know, destroy the post office in, in, in various senses. And also just take a, a kind of scope, you know, look at the broader scope of how the post office got here and how public services are you know, in the condition they're in because of sustained decades long ideological and mechanical assault on them. It's a natural natural transition for Aaron too, because he had basically carved out the same beat for himself writing about the MTA in New York until it got too depressing and he got the job at at Motherboard with you guys. And uh, (laughs) it's tough. I guess you can't get away from failing institutions as a journalist or person that lives in society. Yeah, it's very difficult to do so. And, you know, I think the work we're doing generally like our enterprise work is very, you know, is very focused on that, on, on failing institutions. We're really, um, you know, we're really interested in vaccines right now. Uh, Anna Merlin has covered the anti-vax movement for a long time. And it's unfortunately, it's like, now's her time to shine when Robert right. Kennedy is, is going all over the world. He's going to like, he's making connections with people in Germany and Australia um, you know, talking about medical freedom and, you know, making dark animations about Bill Gates microchipping people with, uh, with COVID vaccines. And also the stuff we're interested in is very relevant right now in ways I wish it wasn't. It would be very nice if right. um, yeah. the anti-vaccine movement was not something that had such, uh, such life and death implications. Can I just say how bitching it would be if I got like a note in the mail that just said, follow the money, like that would be like, <laughs> that'd be a wet dream for me. Like as a, as a sometime reporter to have someone be like, I got the scoop for you. Yeah, it's you not know, I've gotten some handwritten letters and it's awesome. And it's 
funny too because sending something blind in the mail, if anyone's listening to this and wants to send hot tips to Vice or Defector, um, you should know that the best way, the best and most secure way to do something is just to send it in the mail. Like you can get involved with secure drop or signal lines or other forms of encrypted communication, but they're actually, they have, um, you know, they have potential failure points. They have weaknesses. Technology can always be exploited. But if you wear gloves and drop something in a mailbox, um, there's really, there's no way to trace it to you. You know, there should be, there should be no way to get it back to you. So Did, yeah, send us your secrets. I don't know what it says. Cramped handwriting. I don't know what it says about the life I've made for myself that the closest I've ever come to that is just getting baseball cards from people in the mail. Presumably people <laughs> I've given my, my address to in a DM and then just forgot about it. And then so, you know, like an envelope comes and it's just got a bunch of like Delman Young cards in it. And I'm like, what could it mean? Some dude sent me weed, which was cool. Oh, that's and nice. then another dude sent like a handwritten letter. Uh, I think Marchman got it too. It was like that Dreadspin guy. And like, mm-hmm. it was handwritten. I was like, well, this person's a serial killer and I'm alarmed. <laughs> I got something. One of the cool things I got was somebody sent me a bunch of old baseball scrapbooks like their dad had from the 30s and 40s. And it was just uh, it was just a bunch of like newspaper clippings and, and stuff like that. It was awesome. That actually does sound that. extremely cool. Anybody wants to oh. send me a scrapbook of, really of any kind. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a, a cool thing I got. I got. The guy who runs the Philip K. Dick Awards somehow found my address, sent me a letter imploring me to submit uh, point B for the awards, gave me the address of all the judges for the competition. Now, I assume he was the <laughs> the judge of the Philip K. Dick Awards. Uh, I hope he wasn't like the Dreadspin guy, but I was like, but I was like, holy shit, it was great. I, I so I immediately fired off copies to all the judges. And uh, and now now I'm going to win a major award, and I'll hang it. I'll put it in the windowsill. Wow, the, uh, you could you could finally be a certified dick. That's right. Terrific. That's right. My lifelong dream. Marchman, do you feel like Aaron's reporting has made a significant impact in preventing the dismantling of the of the postal service? I know DeJoy said he wasn't going to do anything until after the election, but he's going to keep doing that shit after the election if he's not still doing it just under cover of darkness. Yeah, it's hard to say, but I, I definitely think that Aaron's reporting and some of the um, some of the other great work other people has been doing has had a real impact because there were concrete, you know, there were concrete plans that were announced and then walked back. Um, and to be sappy, it's really inspiring because what's you know what's happening there isn't about reporters breaking stories; it's about the public taking that information and expressing mass outrage when there is just overwhelming public revulsion towards some uh, obvious abuse of power. Like it, it has an effect. It even has an effect on, on these people who are like the worst, you know, some of the, some of just the worst people in public life. Um, and that's a, that's a nice thing to remember. And seeing that has um, made me less hopeless than usual. Yeah. I, I've had a similar response to the story and the response to it, in the public for that very reason that like it seems sometimes like things have slipped so far out of joint that like either it's because everyone in politics media is so savvy that they're like it doesn't matter like trust me don't worry about it like everybody does it like every- right right, right. Yeah. and like that winds up being a self-fulfilling prophecy where like you you see a thing that is outrageous on its face 
And yet you're told that like being outraged about it as you would naturally want to be is somehow like childish or uh, like, you know, feudal. Yeah, it gets positive as like you're in fairyland. Like you're not like, you know, the reality is people are indifferent to literally everything and they want to die. So you're just being a baby if you don't go along with it. Yeah, seeing people actually look, I mean, it helps too that like the post office is the one bit of like the state that is, it's in every community, it works, like it employs people that like live in that community. Like it's the thing that people should be getting outraged about. And it is extremely, in the same way that like, all these guys want to get rid of Medicare, which is this, another sort of example of that. It's like they just can't fucking help themselves. Like, if anything that is associated with the state works, it's like on principle, you have to try to smash it. I got the kids into protesting. They like protesting. They went to BLM protests and they went to gun protests, stuff like that. And, uh, and so I was like, well, we should go to DeJoy's house and protest him because people have been doing that. They've been camping outside. So they're like, fuck yeah, we're going to do that. And we made signs and all that stuff. And we drove down. And somehow we missed, like, the initial protest, which was, like, at 8 a.m. in the morning. My kids are not getting up that early on a weekend. And so there was no one there. And we were like, oh, which house is it? And, like, we, <laughs> we were like, oh, they're the protesters. But there were just people having, like, picnic in a, a picnic in a square and shit like that. So did you just so, go outside of Detroit's house and be like, you're an asshole, man, and then just drive back home? I sh- No, we didn't even do that. I mean, really, <laughs> I should just throw fucking eggs in his window, but I need to make sure it was the right window before I went and did it. So it was very dispiriting. Speaking of dispiriting, Marchman, uh, let's get into more lively, or I shouldn't say lively, let's get into uh, far, far less important topics, uh, namely burger toppings, because uh, <laughs> we argued as a staff about burger toppings yesterday, and uh, the disgusting Luis Paez Pumar I always felt like he had the worst food takes possible among staffers that I've worked with because he like he won't eat like sushi and like and he's very righteous about it. Like he's not just there's he no won't eat like sushi. Won't eat no, sushi. He hates beans, Tim, which I feel like would be something that would make you very angry personally. There's yeah, a lot. What the fuck, man. There, and he's, he's got the thing that Barry has too, where all of his bad takes are delivered in this like sort of slow drip mechanism where like you think you've heard everything and then he's like oh i don't cabbages aren't real yeah and he's like <laughs> he's very smarmy about it he's there's no self-deprecation it's not like yeah i know i don't like sushi i'm a bit of a wuss that way it's it's bad what are you guys doing eating that how could you guys like that you're weird like yeah, i know what you're talking about with i know what you're talking about with barry because he'll he'll just like he'll, he'll go months without delivering anything that's really out there and then he'll just be like people who grind their coffee beans are dicks <laughs> you got to grind, you know, you got to make your coffee with whole beans. And you're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And whole, you know, yeah, he's definitely- like, hey, look, everybody knows this. Some people don't want to face the hard truths, but his um, stuff is he's at a different level in terms of just feral behavior too. just because the stuff that he drops is like no one taught him that. It's just and it's impossible to figure out like where he could have picked it up. The idea of being like, yeah, I use like the same detergent I use on my dishes. That's what I shower with. Yeah. And it's just like a thing that he decided to start doing that is then presented as like a fait accompli that you have to deal with. Everything about man- Barry makes sense if you assume he lives in a subway tunnel. Like <laughs> so anyway, so Luis really, really fucking hates pickles. So when we were doing the burger toppings, he was just just utterly repulsed that any of us liked pickles on our burgers. And we were like, all right, yeah, yeah, shut up. Please. And then we published it. And then, and then March, I forgot that Marshman has food takes of his own. He 
cruises right in. He's like, pickles are vile and disgusting. I was like, nah, oh, man, pickles right. are good, but they're not good on burgers. Why That's- not? They get the you get the fabled hit of acid. What's wrong with that? It's good. No, you need the 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 only thing they have to offer is is the crunch. You need the pickle uh, on it. You know, you need the pickle on the side. You don't need it blending with other ingredients. It overpowers everything. It's like what of contrast? You need a little bit of of contrast with the rich fatty beef and the cheese. Well, that's what that's what you get with your sauce. You should have like a good sauce on your burger. That should be giving you your sweetness. And you what what your sauce am I putting from... on? Italian dressing? What am I, what what yeah. sauce is this? Get him, Drew. Like uh, you know, like ketchup, ketchup, mayo, any kind of secret uh, sauce that you're uh, that you're doing. May- that might be the problem. Mayo's not giving it. Mayo's not giving it. A, a, that's well, the problem. It's your anti mayo takes. So that's yeah. why you're reduced yeah, no, to. But, all right, I'm saying. The, I'm saying mayo is not giving a contrast to a burger. Like it's making it fattier, but it's not. It, I guess I guess it's got a little tang to it. Yeah, that, that people like, but it's not like it's not a pronounced tang. It's like, you know, like a mild, creamy, almost pus-like quality that it's adding to a burger. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna do do mayo chat. I know, here. I know, no, we're not gonna do the mayo <laughs> chat. Anyway, what do you eat on your burger then, you piece of shit motherfucker? <laughs> Uh, I like lettuce, onion, um, bacon is good. Ham is good. A fried egg is good. Caramelized onions are good. Ooh, ham. Um, I don't think I go with anything really out there. I was very disappointed to see that coleslaw was the last item on that list because I really like coleslaw on a burger. So that was one burger though. I should have NA'd that one because I'm sure that that is like a way that burgers are served someplace that I haven't spent a lot of time. I have never been given a coleslaw burger. Yeah, it's either some shit you would get in like Kansas City or something. Yeah, like like a little paper cup of it, sure, but like on the burg itself, no, not so much. You put it on there and it gives you that zip. Like if if you're a pickle enthusiast, you know, coleslaw should be good for you. Kimchi is good on a burger. Um, Kimchi, I could see. I could see kimchi on a burger. Yeah, like kimchi, kimchi over pickles for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna go that you, far, but I do appreciate I appreciate the take. I mean, you're bitching about dill pickles being overpowering. Kimchi's a pretty strong flavor, my man. Yeah, but in a different way. It's it's like it doesn't have that like overpowering sweetness that a lot that the pickles you get on burgers do. You have made your own kimchi. Am I wrong? I was going to, and I couldn't quite figure out how to do it, and I didn't want to explode my basement. It's still on the to-do list. You didn't have a clay jug in a 20-foot hole in the ground where you could bury it? No, although my basement does get pretty chilly. I think I could make kimchi down Fermentation is the last stage of becoming an obnoxious food person. Like, it really (laughs) is. It's the most advanced, like, final boss type thing. It seems to me like sort of the, the, yeah, it seems like the final boss of quarantine, yuppie self-improvement. Like... We did the baking bread thing. I learned how to shuck oysters last week. Yeah, like like Hell ferment, yeah. like keeping a <laughs> keeping a jar of like fermented uh, radishes around for eight weeks. To, you know, and then like you know moonshining them or something like that. That does seem in, to me like the final level. Yeah, we have a really good. Uh, fermentation person at our farmer's market. They're very sweet. They come down from, from central New York, but there's, 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 there's something off-putting would be too strong, but there's something a little maybe off center about the, uh, you know, this food is alive propaganda. Like, like this food is cannibalizing itself. It's, it's don't you want to become a part of that process? Like, <laughs> well, who you are got... you? If it's eating itself, who are you to say no? 
Oh, you got to trust that the person you're buying it from knows how to properly rot food. Because if they rot it wrong. Then yeah, they can poison rot. the hell out of you, especially since they're, <laughs> you know, they're using the fish sauce in the kimchi, which I, I have no scientific basis for this, but I fear in terms of like botulism more than I perhaps should. If it's Once the thought's in your food. head, man, you're pretty much halfway home. Like you can, you know, you may not actually get botulism, but if you're thinking about botulism the whole time, you're going to get all the... All the good stuff that goes along with food poisoning, just, if I, you know, from within the house. If I do fish sauce in this house when I make something, because I use it, because it's good. But the kids don't like it, obviously, because it's fish sauce. And, like, if I put, like, a drop of it in, like, something, and they're, like, three rooms over, they're like, what's that? This smells disgusting. Is that the fish sauce? You piece of shit, Dad. Like, they know. <laughs> we got to take a break. But before I do that, I just do want to say that I actually went to a restaurant once. I can't remember what past life that was. And they had a fried green tomato on top of the burger, and that was rather delicious. And I, I must, uh, I must vouch for it. All right, we're good. gonna come right back and act, talk about actual sports. So hang on. Hey, we're back. So Marchman, I think we need to talk about sports specifically. Your division-leading Chicago White Sox. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Are we they did really, it. Are they really good? I don't know, man. They were looking like the best team in baseball for a while. And now they're, as, as we talk, they're on a, a, they've lost five of their last seven. Half the lineup has stopped hitting. I'm afraid they've turned back into a pumpkin. But. but isn't this the season where you can get away with being a pumpkin? Because, like, 18 other rosters are, like, riddled with COVID lesions all over the place. Well, they actually have a COVID casualty. You know, Yohan Moncada is one for 30 right now, and he's been ta- he, got, he got COVID, and he's been talking about how, like, his strength has never returned. All right, uh, that's one, though. That's, like, that's like <laughs> really good as far as MLB goes. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they'll be all right. They just have to get hot again. They're, they're having a little bit of a hangover right now. They are tremendously exciting. Have you watched them, Drew? Have you basked in their glory? You know, I'm bad. I haven't watched much of the baseball. You know, actually, I, I wrote about it that – I felt like any champion in the bubble was, or in, or any shortened season champion was going to be legit. And I still believe that about baseball. And I believe it about hockey, even though I'm not going to watch that series because it's Tampa and Dallas. And I definitely believe about NF- the NFL because I, I think the NFL is going to be able to, to have its season normally because I think they secretly have resources that are so comprehensive in dealing with COVID that it would just disgust the normal population. <laughs> but baseball, I feel like has, I feel like the quality of play has been really truly and deeply affected by how badly they've managed it in the same way college football has. And it does not feel terribly legitimate to me. And that's why I, that's why I've sort of not watched it. Like KBO, I watched a shitload of. Yeah, was- I feel that. I mean, I have a very hard, I haven't, I haven't watched a game this season. I, I listen to games. There's something about the setup that is very off-putting to me. Just the the cardboard fans in the sands and the emptiness. It's all – I find it all pretty bleak. Um, listening to it is fine. Fun. Is it really – like, I would think that listening to it would bring that home even more because – are they piping you can hear the noise and stuff like that? They are, but it doesn't have – it doesn't have the kind of uncanny valley quality that it does on TV. And I'm not sure why, like, like it's just as artificial and just as phony, but yeah, I've, um, I've had a hard time accepting the season as real, I guess. Like, I mean, I know that it is, it's basically over, you know, but it is, 
always kind of like marginal and, and like dreamlike in this sense. And like, and I care about the Mets. Like, it's my fucking fault. Like, I obviously, you know, uh, I don't need to apologize to anybody but those near me Should who've do. been affected by that decision. But like, yeah, it was a, it was a bad idea. But like, it, there's something about it that felt. I just can't wait for next season. I guess like I want a proper baseball season to watch and enjoy at the right times. And so this well, little—I don't think next season's going to be normal either. I don't think it will be normal either. But I'm, this is what I'm telling myself. Remember, I just said I'm a like I'm a Mets fan. This is this is the rationalization portion of the podcast. Uh, and I'll thank you not to interrupt me while I'm doing it. The, <laughs> but in general, it's. Oh, let a me interrupt of, you for a second. Yep. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, I'm just kidding. Just I know, kidding. but no, for me, like the like this little bit of a season is not. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not to say I won't enjoy the playoffs, but it's going to feel like a one-off. It'll feel like a weird, you know, tournament. You know, I got to say, I was very skeptical of the baseball season, especially before they basically put everybody into a bubble because like entire teams were getting infected. Um, I didn't think they should have had it. I thought it was bullshit. I thought it was going to be illegitimate. Oddly enough, the White Sox having their most exciting team in <laughs> living memory um, has made the season very legitimate to me. Yeah. And, and <laughs> funny, funny I, how that works. But yeah, no, I know that if the Mets were better, I'd probably be like, you know what? It's great. It, it's really giving yeah, me a lot man, of energy. Look, if the, if the Mets went on a, like a 20 uh, and five streak and Pete Alonso was slugging like 900 for a month, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, baseball's back. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic feeling. I think it's, um, you know, it's it's going to all play out. The, the thing that uh, is upsetting and alarming me most is this bullshit everyone gets into the playoff system especially since it's obvious they're gonna um keep it going and i think you're gonna get an even worse problem even worse version of the nba problem where you're watching some desultory game in the middle of november and you're like why the fuck am i even like what is the point of watching this the players aren't interested in this no one is interested in this what is the social purpose of this why did twenty thousand people go to one place to watch this nonsense and if you have 16 uh, teams in the playoffs and you end up with like teams with a losing record winning a world series. I think, you know, there's going to be a real, why am I watching this vibe to some shitty game in the middle of July, unless you're physically at the park and just there to get the sun on you and eat a hot dog. Absolutely agree with that shit. And it's also to me, like, I don't, I don't like the idea of the expanded playoffs, but I'm sure that I could get myself in a place where I was okay with it. But then you have to shorten the regular season. The whole point of playing 162 games is that you can have a smaller playoffs and you know that it's representative of the year that came before it. The idea you play all that much and then you have an 80 win team playing in the playoffs too, like pick one, you know, like it just doesn't seem to me like it's not going to do anything but make it easier for owners to try less. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's actually like someone on Fangraphs wrote a really good story about just the, way this incentive structure is going to get it's going to like decrease the marginal value of a win and so it should exert downward pressure on um salaries for even free agent stars because if you have like there's no real incentive to go to 81 from 81 to 86 wins if each gives you as uh, viable a shot at the world series yeah and seeing how shameless teams have been about gaming that out even when there was still a system in place where you were supposed to try to win the division. Like that's been the thing that Cleveland's been doing in the AL central until it finally caught up with them this year 
was they were so far ahead of the rest of the division that they were just like, well, all right, like we can win this division with 101 wins or we can win it with 93. So like, can we get eight wins worse and still win this division and be in the playoffs? And that sucks as a fan. It's terrible, but also just on principle, that's not like, seems what are you cheering for at that point? (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's, there's a, there's a real disconnect that's been, that's been introduced. But on the other hand, you know, like when Luis Robert is covering everything from foul pole to foul pole and the White Sox are bringing up their first round pick from this year and he's throwing a hundred miles an hour, it's all, it's all pretty glorious. Like the meta bullshit goes by the wayside and that's really all I want out of sports. So yep. I'm happy to, uh, to that end, uh, these playoffs, the, the COVID shortened playoffs are going to start in a couple of weeks and they're going to put the teams participating in a bubble when they weren't in a bubble all during the, the shortened regular season. Does that make any sense to you, Marchman? Or is that essentially like herding together a bunch of COVID infected players so that they can give every last player who doesn't have it, it. I, you know, I, I think they've basically been in a bubble. I mean, there was that, there was that point when the Cardinals hadn't played for two weeks and then like the A's were getting it and there was some third team yeah. that went down and it was like, I, I think it was I think it was really pretty close to the season getting shut down and they introduced all the new rules so that you know for all intents and purposes um, these guys are in a bubble system I mean the the Indians you know got rid of two of their best pitchers because everybody was so disgusted that they'd gone out and partied in Chicago and that seems to have been an inflection point so I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be too much of a, a practical or a functional change and I don't You know, it doesn't seem too likely to me that, like, you know, the Padres are all going to go down at once um, in the system because everyone knows how much is riding on it. And they've probably got, you know, former JSOC guys who are shadowing (laughs) Fernando Tatis Jr. (laughs) (laughs) You know, using drones to using drones to make sure that Manny Machado is staying in his hotel room and all that. That's the exactly the way that Abner Doubleday dreamed it up. <laughs> apart apart from your White Sox marchman, who should I be cheering for when the playoffs begin? The Padres for sure. I mean, the the Padres are just yes, they're just they're they're legitimately fun as hell. And on a meta level, I really like that they're you know they're a team that's really gone for it and like invested in good players. Um, I think is 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 definitely cool. I'm also. Rooting for the Dodgers is kind of like the Yankees, but I feel bad for that team. They have so many awesome players. They've done everything right. They're constantly they're winning seventy percent of their games this year. Like they're yeah, crazy, they just like they, crazy they can't dude. make it happen. Like for an individual guy who I would like to see win the World Series, like I would really like to see Clayton Kershaw win a World Series. So I yeah, he keeps fucking up in the yeah. playoffs, man. I don't know why it is that I don't find wanting the Dodgers to win as objectionable as I do finding like the Yankees or whatever in that way like i never have though and i kind of like this dodgers team for like a team that is like a juggernaut and like a super high payroll and all that other stuff like i I would prefer i think the padres or the white Sox winning the world series would be delightful like i know we're supposed to act like the white Sox are annoying here they're really cool like luis robert (laughs) is really cool like it's you know with all due respect to marchman and a classic bit like they are very likable but yeah there's something about the that if the dodgers i think if they won this year's World Series to it would still be kind of a hilarious own on all the previous fuck ups that they've had. <laughs> would be like, oh yeah, you won one. I remember that one. That was the one where we couldn't go on the uh, mass transit at all for nine months that year. 
Yeah, I totally agree with all that. Um, that I mean, I don't know why they're not repulsive. They should be repulsive. Um, just given their huge financial advantages and like they have Andrew Friedman, who's like the smartest guy in baseball and does everything perfectly. And they should be annoying as hell, but they're not. They're just, I find them pretty likable. I don't know. Maybe if I lived on the West Coast, I would view them as more of like a soulless, wicked juggernaut, just just destroying everything in its path. But I'll, you know, I, I, I feel kind of bad for them. I'd like to I think them. it's, I think it has something to do with the fact that they share the National League with so many other repellent teams like the Cardinals and even the Cubs who, you know, I, I wanted them to win the World Series. But now they've won it. And now I know who the Ricketts are. I don't really feel yeah. much of anything for the Cubs. So, like, so the bar is really low in the National The American League, too. But it's like, it's not that hard to be a likable MLB team. So long as you're not like the fucking Astros, yeah. who are an AL League team, I should know, but still. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm really curious about what's going to happen to the Mets um, now that they have. Not my problem. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, now that they have their, their new regime in and everything, like it would be a very Mets outcome to me for them to become an Astros like world destroying annual 105 win team that everybody just fucking hated, like including all their own fans and just took absolutely no pleasure. in. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're talking about the like the final coup de grace after several misspent decades, the idea of them, it like there was that possibility. I always thought they were going to wind up selling to Steve Cohen because he had the most money and that's what you're supposed to do. Right. But the A-Rod bid was gross in ways that like it basically everything that could be gross about an MLB ownership bid. It was like sort of a version of the Marlins thing where you come in super leveraged and have to cut payroll. A-Rod was talking about like pushing for a salary cap and basically like trying to tell other owners that he wouldn't spend too much. And they were basically making noise about bringing back Jeff Luno and that method of like, you know, super like treating a building a baseball team as a McKinsey engagement. And uh, that would have been bad. I think I would have had a, a harder time dealing with that than I've had dealing with like just the general Edwin Diaz experience. And I haven't honestly worn that one terribly well, if I'm being honest. Would you guys like to remember a guy? Oh, my gosh. More than anything. Marshall, would you like to remember a guy? Um, yeah. Do we remember Kurt Manwaring? Yes. Hey, I, I get to tell you who the guy of the week is. But yes, oh. I do remember Kurt Man. But I do remember <laughs> Kurt Manwaring. Well, I yes, was just, you know, I was just remembering a guy. But I'll remember <laughs> you know your guy, too. Well, in your honor, I picked a guy of the week uh, in Ron Karkovice. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I remember Ron Karkovice. I believe that Ron Karkovice makes um, makes like benches out of baseball bats. And Ooh. there's one in the press entrance at Sox Park. Really? Yeah, I'm like 99% sure it's Ron Karkovice. It's, it's, a, it's a former Sox catcher. What I remember about Karkovice was that he was a, apparently a very good defender and a, mostly a lousy hitter. He looked like a, like a 51-year-old Minnesota uh, pool supply owner for the entirety of his long major league career. And now yes. he's a fucking hitting coach somehow. Yeah. yeah. Completely inexplicably like Jerry Reinsdorf's loyalty to pass socks knows no logic or reason. I've really it's, missed that type of guy. Um, like I think about Jerry Royce a lot as a guy I wish was still in the majors. Is the type of guy you're talking about people that look inexplicably three decades older than they are for the entirety of their big league career. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. I was I was looking at some Jerry Royce cards online recently, as one does. Hell yeah! And I was amazed. I'm now <laughs> older than he was in these in these car, uh, you know, in these in these cards. 
where he easily looked 70 years old. <laughs> just, and he just had, like he his wizened great grandfather. Yeah, he had the Steve Martin thing where his hair turned white while he was still young. But that doesn't explain the general vibe and the mustache. Like he looked like, like Hal Holbrook. He did. Yeah. And he also had this thing where he just the the like the cast of his mouth made him look like somebody who didn't have his dentures in. <laughs> like I look hobo. at the I'm looking at the Karkavice card now and he really he looks like he looks like a detective who uh like uh, like an NYPD detective who's like 55 and like just waiting to get to his pension. Yeah. Like, like the other guys are like, he doesn't do the work anymore. He doesn't do the, the shoe leather stuff. Karkavice is like, I gave so much to this city. I broke my ass for 30 years. Yeah. Played by some, some character actor of some sort who I can't, I can't guess right now because I need more time to match the actor to the face. Hey, how about drinking from the poison chalice? Would you like a little poison, Marchman? Yeah, hit me. Good, because we got that, and then we're going to go to the fun bag. Uh, the poison this week, uh, I'm going to do Jason Whitlock the courtesy of acknowledging his existence, because uh, he's just been trying so hard for that. Man, this is real Serb war criminal shit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just trying to like trying to make Katie Nolan's life miserable and shit like that, uh, and tweeted this uh, yesterday morning, we're looking for comics and actors in Nashville wanting to start a troupe unconcerned with political correctness, just want to be funny. Hit me up on this thread. <laughs> what? So imagine, imagine auditioning to be in the upright Whitlock Citizens Brigade. The Jason Whitlock players. <laughs> just be. So let me. So they're looking to to put together like an anti cancel culture comedy troupe that will be performing like in Nashville. Sure. Outkick yeah, I think. Oh, don't don't give him the URL. That's just so much more courtesy. Yeah, can we bleep that? Edit that out. Yeah, redacted. Yeah, is it? I I feel like it's really not worth not noticing him anymore. Him and him and Clay both. They're just trying so hard, not only to just be shitty people, but like Clay's actively trying to get people killed from the Rona. So it's like it's like paying attention to him is actually like a damaging public service that you're doing. Yeah, just so. don't make eye contact. Keep it moving. Uh, hey, how about a mashup? Would you like to hear me sing a mashup, Marchman? Yes, yes. I oh, yeah, Tim. He, wow, sing, the, he sings now. It's part of the I think podcast. You're the, I think you're the only person who has ever said yes to that question. Well, he doesn't know so what they your, sound like. No, here's I, your mashup, Marchman. I've heard Drew to, sing, unfortunately, for me. You have to, uh, you have to guess the mashup, okay? You have to guess the, the two artists involved. So here we go. Today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. Yes, you. It's always you, you, you. Oh, you, yes, you. It's always you, you, you. Uh, I know half of this. So yeah, of course I'm, I'm going to go with the easy half and say Oasis. And then I'm going to say the other one is Bob Mould. No, it's not. It's not Bob Mould, unfortunately. You are actually spiritually close roth do you know who the other artist is no i was trying to go by the way you were singing and i just reminded me of um when you were singing the uh crash test dummies song so i <laughs> i have to withdraw mm-hmm. like i don't mm-hmm. yeah that uh, one. yeah the answer is but first pearl jam that's your uh that's really? your, it's, it's it yes it's you it's uh it's a b-side from their lost dogs compilation uh, oh, why didn't I know the B-side from their Lost Dogs compilation? Well, that's why I had to make it tricky. It can't just be that easy. You know, when I do Aerosmith and Metallica together, it's, it's too easy. I had to make it <laughs> challenging, even if I'm picking those boomer possible music 
that I can find. So there you go. Hey, uh, let's get to the fun bag. Uh, here's a, a tricky question for both you and Roth Marchman. Brandon asks, how difficult is infidelity during COVID? Can it be pulled off? <laughs> Surely you have both tried. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got like, uh, you know, five people on the side I'm seeing that my wife doesn't know about. So I hope she doesn't listen to this. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, it seems to me like it has to be. It has to be very hard. I think you could probably pull off the absence from the house under pretexts, as long as you weren't doing it too often. You could be like, you know, hey, look, you know, it's really stressful for me to be bottled up in here, um, and you know, I just, I, I just got to go. I just got to go take a long walk by myself, and then you sneak away. But where are you sneaking away to, and how can you be sure that the inherently trustworthy person with whom you're, you're making your assignation um, is not just like, you know, infected with COVID. I think that would be, that would be the hard, the hardest part. Right. And where I mean, are you going to, and the, where are you going to do the deed? I guess you could go to their house. Got to go to the super eight. <laughs> do it. And do it six feet apart in an alley. Somehow. <laughs> I, I think, I think the average infidel is not going to care too much about getting the Rona or passing it on to anybody else. That's my, I think, I think by nature, cheaters tend to be a rather sloppy lot because they're just too horny to be careful. Yeah, I think that this is where the three of us would not be the people to answer this question (laughs) because I, like, there's many reasons why I would not want to have an extramarital relationship. But the one that, like, when you, it just sounds really difficult. (laughs) <laughs> it's hard, like it doesn't know. seem like it's it's worth doing for a number of reasons i'm very you know happy to be married to my wife and all that but also like yeah the logistics of it and lying and but i think the people that do stuff like that the people that care enough to do it are like i mean like bernard carrick had like a, an affair in an apartment that was supposed to be for people working in the pit at ground zero. Like the people that are really dedicated to like getting it in and cheating on people like are, (laughs) it's like Michael Jordan shit. Like this is just, they care about it that much more than anyone else. So like, this is also, yeah, yeah, I think this is also rich people shit. I assume that you have to be like bought houses in the Hamptons um, just so they could have them and, and not have to be in New York would also just be like, for my infidelity purposes, you know, I'm just going to get an apartment. I'm going to install someone there. I will go do my infidelity there. And I will have the JSOC guys who are watching Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, <laughs> watch, uh, you know, the, the person I have decided to do my infidelity with. And that must be like, that must just be a kind of routine thing for a lot of these masters of the universe types. Like, you know, I need to, I need to cheat and, <laughs> I need to make sure I don't get infected. So I'm going to, I'm going to just spend a lot of money on it so that it can be a convenience to me. They're also counting, I think on the willful blindness of their, of their wives to, or, or husbands in that sense to just, you know, you know, maybe I suspect he's cheating, but you know, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to really give a shit because our marriage is loveless to begin with sort of thing. Yeah. Like I don't give a shit or, you know, who knows, maybe like people, people can really delude themselves, you know, then, you know, they can say like, Hey, maybe Tim really does want to just walk from West Philly to Camden. And, <laughs> and yeah. Cause you know, and, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to know. He's been making longer and longer trips to the community fridge, but <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't want to know that Marchman is carrying on with the lead singer of the Mekons on the side. Matt writes in, <laughs> 
Every single local, local TV station talks about how they, how they have the best weather team in the area, city, state, country. Who really does, Marchman? You've lived in a few places. Who has the best AccuWeather forecast team? Wow, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say it has to be someone along the Gulf Coast because that shit really matters to them. They yes. need to know about all the natural disasters they're prey to, and they need to know it fast so that they can evacuate. Whereas, um, say the uh, the 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 weather is unpredictable in Chicago, but the odd tornado aside. You know, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to go outside and you'll turn out to need a jacket that you didn't think you needed. So, yeah, yeah. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess like somewhere on, somewhere in Florida. There's a good chapter in uh, Sam Anderson's Boomtown, which is about Oklahoma City and the thunder and the flaming lips in Oklahoma and whatever. It's a very, it's a good book about uh, like the most trusted tornado guy in Oklahoma City who's been on the job for many years and like he could not carry that job more heavily and take it more seriously than he does and like he's revered in the community for that that like he legit saves lives and also you know cares about this shit in the way that you'd have to if your city was constantly at risk of being obliterated by tornadoes what's remarkable about that beyond the fact that it's like a good portrait of a guy with an interesting job is that I have never lived anywhere where the weather people were not just like the fluffiest himbos imaginable. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that like I almost always judge weather men and weather women by their personality because I just assume they get all their shit from the National Weather Service and all the forecasts are the same. Yeah. To, to that end, when we were living in New York, my wife had a crush on a Channel 2 weatherman, Mark Dannon. And she's like, he's cute. I was like, yeah, yeah, he seems all right. And then he subsequently got arrested for uh, – for buying cocaine, and then he got fired from his job. He is still a weatherman, uh, I believe, in San Francisco or somewhere else like that. But uh, but that that was a that was a tough blow for my wife. Basically. I feel like uh, I feel like local weathermen are really prey for like rumors and urban legends. You know, Dan, Dan yeah. McQuaid rightly talks about how a lot about how one of the weird things about Philadelphia is that like local TV people are only celebrities, like them and Joel Embiid. <laughs> are, are, <laughs> Are like all we have, um, but local local weathermen everywhere. It seems like like they're the subject of a lot of knowing gossip. Like I was just looking up um, to see whether many of the rumors that I heard over the years about Sam Champion have been <laughs> have been published. And Sam known. Champion of New York weather legend, who was linked very crudely by Page Six to Mike Piazza in a romantic relationship <laughs> that was 100% made up out of whole cloth. Good weatherman, though. Oh, terrific. One of the best. What yeah, did you learn like, about like to Sam me, Champion in your well, deep I, dive, Tim? Well, I, I learned in my cursory Googling just now that some of the more salacious things I've heard uh, have apparently not been published. And these aren't things like... I ever heard as a reporter or anything. It's like being a 15 year old and, you know, you yeah. hear the story about Sam champion, like <laughs> what he gets up to. Um, yeah. And I think it's because they, um, they are so personality driven. They're big magnetic, larger than life figures. And, you know, they hold, they hold power and sway in their communities. I think they're all great. Much uh, like, Dustin, much like Embiid. <clears throat> Dustin writes in, I'm stoned and cutting up some vegetables to chana masala. I cut up some onions and predictably started crying, which was annoying. Then I cut up some cilantro. 
and was absolutely delighted by the smell. What are the best and worst vegetables or herbs to cut? Judge solely on how pleasurable it is to cut them. I don't like chopping cilantro because it gets, you just get little bits all over the fucking place. So I, I am, I am against it. Marshman, you're a, a, a famed vegetable enthusiast. You have a favorite vegetable to cut. Mm, I have a few. I love, um, I love chopping parsley or snipping it with, with shears. Um, just like the smell of parsley is so fresh and, uh, you know, it always makes me, it always makes me happy. And it's also satisfying to use your knife work on. Um, like if you want to chop it really fine, there's a good tactile sense to it. I really like ribbing shard. I find that satisfying, just like slicing down the middle and removing that rib. Um, and like smashing garlic with the flat side of a knife to get it out of the, out of the skin. Is also, uh, garlic's such a pain in the ass. It's no, that's it's 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 fucking fun and easy. All right, tell me the worst ones then, because broccoli's the worst. Broccoli, bro- broccoli. Like you never like you're snipping the crowns off, and then you're like, is this a crown in its own right, or is this several crowns that have grown together? Should I be cutting it in half? It's just a huge pain in the ass. Broccoli and cauliflower. They are yeah. pains in the ass. I, it's worked out nicely in our relationship that I just don't chop broccoli anymore. We still eat it, but that's just <laughs> it's a division of labor. The same way that, like, you know, my wife does not do a lot of the the proteins. I just broccoli is not my lookout. Um, I don't want to completely crib Tim's thing, but I first of all I knew he would say parsley because he's. I would say that you are the biggest parsley weirdo that I've ever met. <laughs> I was at an old before I started at. At Deadspin, I was at a GMG party where Tim had just brought parsley to the party and was eating it in the offices. Wait, what? As like a breath freshening thing. You're like, no, it's like it one like of the healthiest things you can eat. It was like a Super Bowl thing, and I brought some stuff I wanted to eat during the Super Bowl, and I chopped up some parsley, and I love. Parsley. Oh, so you didn't you didn't bring just parsley? No, it's like no, but like it, a snack. But like it wasn't incorporated into a dish. It was like it was if he was eating a sort of a, a smorgasbord, a buffet plate of it. Part of that was just leaves of parsley which i admired i might have even treated myself to one i think you did offer which was very gentlemanly of you who who says no but yeah but chopping parsley is incredible there's a a very soothing video of a man chopping parsley in a restaurant where it's like this huge bunch and he's mowing through it with a super sharp knife and i don't have knives that sharp or knife skills that sharp but that is 100 percent what i go for and we put parsley in everything i mean like most things that you cook uh, could be enhanced with that. The thing I hate chopping is squash. It's a fucking pain in the ass. Oh, fucking I'm gonna, squash, oh, like, a, like a butternut squash? Yeah. Where you gotta get the fuck sauce that and shit. All. And I always, I always feel like I'm going to lose the tip of my finger for what I consider to be like a B minus C plus vegetable. And I just don't care for it. It's like pulling fucking Excalibur out of the stone. You know, like, like horrible. my wife likes squash a lot. And I just like, I just won't do it i'll i'll like the only tolerable squash preparation technique i can think of is you chop it in half you scoop out the seeds and then you just cover it in oil and roast it and until you can just like peel the skin away like actually right. peeling it with a knife is just the the effort to reward ratio is so off yeah i do like uh i do like slicing a good cucumber very nice and oh yeah another clean. good mm-hmm. smell good yeah. smell one Let's get to our email of the week, because we kept you long enough, Marshman. James writes in, which movies would you want to see Jameis Winston licking a W to motivate other characters? Here are a few of my picks. <laughs> Gladiator, Saving Private Ryan, Dunkirk, any scene with Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, 
Lawrence of Arabia, the deer hunter before playing Russian roulette, and Agnes Finch before the trial and To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> is James missing anything? Is there any other movie, Martin, where you'd like to see Jameis Winston lick a juicy wet W <laughs> to get people fired up? Um, maybe the combat scene in Starship Troopers when they confidently go onto the bug planet and then they all get chopped up and eaten by the bugs. Hell yeah. Somehow that would work. That, that, would, would, be, that would actually... The vibe is the same. Like, basically, yeah! if they did, like, a super director's cut of that and James Winston was a character that was in the crew that was always like, I just joined up because I like to be a part of big things. And then he gets ripped in half by, like, a giant cockroach 30 minutes later. The movie would not be worse. No, it would be, actually, it would be improved. God. Uh, what about a Fast and the Furious movie? Would it work in there? I've never seen one, so I don't yeah. know. You know what? I, I have, also have never seen one. Neither oh have God. I. We did it. <laughs> Add it up. We are 0 for 24. Or wow. however many we are the are. last three people in America of whom this can be said. Yeah. We found, we found the whitest podcast trio outside of Pod Save America that this <laughs> could possibly exist. I would have said, uh, I would have said, uh, Torque, the, uh, the, the Fast and Furious ripoff starring Ice Cube that was all motorcycles. Everyone was on a motorcycle instead of in a car. That seems that seems like I can also see I can also see this working in a Mission Impossible movie before like Tom Cruise is going to jump off the top of the Eiffel Tower without a parachute, and you know he's doing it in real life because Zenu will protect him. Um, and getting psyched up by Jameis there could work. If we're going to talk about Tom Cruise movies, the ones that came to mind to me was uh, Edge of Tomorrow, and just the idea of him doing it. You see it happen dozens of times in the film, the same way that like. Because, you know, Cruz dies many times in Edge of Tomorrow, not not really giving anything away. But the idea of, like, all of the preparations to go into battle, if every one of those involves, like, a painstaking Jameis Winston being like, how many of y'all ready to eat this W? Like, I think <laughs> that would really right add a lot. Just it would actually, ten it would times. Work, it would work in a comedy, too. Like, any comedy where, like, he could just, like, he, someone else gives the Jim Halpert look, like, afterward. like. <laughs> <laughs> or like any corny movie, like I saw the Meg. He would it would work in the Meg, like if he did that right before he got fucking eaten or something like that. That would work. Oh yeah, like in uh, Deep Blue, where like the Samuel L. Jackson speech. If he right before he's like, "How many of y'all ready to eat this W?" A shark bites yeah. him in half. Yeah, yeah interesting. Like Dodgeball, a true underdog story. It would work in in that regard. But of course, that wouldn't be as fun as he popped up in just a deadly serious movie like fucking Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to fire up a Vietnam platoon by by licking his fingers like a complete idiot. It's worth <laughs> noting that the video itself is an astonishing bit of cinema. Like, I rewatch it every now and then, and it is, like, somehow it has not only not become, like, less cringe fuel, like, it's worse. It's yeah. worse every time I see it. There's something new you can look at every time. A new teammate <laughs> just utterly puzzled in a different way. It's... <laughs> It's a stop. It's the Mona Lisa of shitty motivation. <laughs> Brandon Nix is the producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And Stitcher's chief content officer is Chris Bannon. You can listen to ad free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get one free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. Go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at it. And also, point B. Uh, comes out next week as an audiobook for the first time on the September 29th. So go ahead and look for that. Anywhere books, audiobooks, that is, are sold. Marchman, you've been a fabulous guest. Would you come on again sometime? I, anytime. Just just have to ask whenever uh, everything else falls through. Oh, uh, 
<laughs> Fabulous. All right. Well, then to you we say, eat shit. We love yeah. you. But like with love. All right. Bye. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye.